0: welcome everybody to isolation studios that's what i'm calling my home office as uh, my wife and i like so many people are self-isolating we are quarantining ourselves uh, so that we can get to the bottom of this pandemic so that we can put an end to it for social distancing when we do have to leave the house uh, it's so important and i hope that everyone out there is following the rules washing your hands not touching your face but also finding some way to stay happy or busy or find something to do in what i know is an extraordinarily trying time for an awful lot of people out there us included It's funny. Yesterday I was listening to the radio and a song came on that I hadn't heard for a long time, but it kind of gave me some inspiration. And of all people, it was The Traveling Wilburys. I don't mind The Traveling Wilburys. I like them as much as I guess the next guy. Uh, But the song is called End of the Line. And there's a line in it where they say, every day is just one day. And I'm sitting here Trying to pass the minutes and the hours and the days, just like everybody else. And that line has stayed with me. Every day is just one day. If it's a bad day, if you're feeling down, or if it feels like this weight of this pandemic is crushing down upon you, just try and remember that this is just one day. Tomorrow will be a different day with different challenges, but also maybe a little ray of optimism in it somewhere. Every day is just one day. Thanks to the Traveling wheelberries for that little bit of zen advice. We have an exciting show for you today. We're going to be talking to some people in isolation. Uh, we've done these interviews over Zoom. Uh, first up, we have uh, Timothy Caulfield. He is the author of a book that will be out shortly called Relax, Damn It. And the book has been delayed till December 1st but I thought it would be interesting to have him on to talk about the various ways to deal with stress and that kind of thing in this very stressful time. And then later on, we'll hear from a favorite of mine, Julie Eng. She is a magician who has been performing magic on stage since she was just three years old. I love the line in her bio where she says, I wasn't delivered by a stork. I was pulled out of a hat. (laughs) First up though, Courtesy of Zoom, all the way from Alberta. Here's author and law professor Timothy Caulfield. You're in Alberta right now. Uh, what's the situation there? How, when you look out the window, what do you see there? Uh, I actually see snow
1: and I see trees. It's still snow out here. Wow. So, so I, you know, it's it's weird because is that good or is that bad? Right? Because you know, some people say, well, it's good because I don't feel like going outside. Makes isolation feel kind of cozy. Uh, but it also just adds to, I think, a little bit of that, that gloom. But, uh, you know, I, I think Albertans are doing, if I may say, a great job. of You know, the few times I have been outside, social social isolation being taken
0: very seriously. Oh, good. And so people are wearing masks, they're social distancing, they're doing all the stuff we're being told to do? Uh, that's definitely the impression that, that I'm getting when, you know, when
1: the few times, and to be honest with you, Richard, it's only been a few times over the past month that I've even been out at all my wife is a family doc so she is out she's okay. right there experiencing and how it. is she doing uh she's doing good you know she is you know she's tough uh but she is finding this pretty stressful you know and part of it's the uncertainty and the questions and and and, and the changing guidelines but we're getting through it
0: yeah i would guess and i don't want you to speak for her but i would guess that Patients are asking her questions that she quite simply just can't say definitively this is what will happen because it is such a a a moving line all the time. We're hearing different things every single day.
1: Yeah, and the masks are a really good example of that, right? You know, um we were out, you know, she was making a mask last night, actually. Uh and um it's it's a really good example of how how the science evolves. And in in my own work, I find it fascinating because people view that as you know, they're frustrated by that. And they almost think, well, I can't trust the public health authorities because they can't make up their mind. On the contrary, you know, it's exactly what you want them to do, right? You want them to move with the science. You want them to evolve. You want them to be nimble, uh, especially at a time that is so uncertain, uh, like right now.
0: Well, now, your book, I think, is perfectly timed for right now, except no one can buy it <laughs> at this second. Two. It will, they will release Now It was supposed to be out now already. Uh, It it, it hasn't come out yet. Do you have a date when it will come out?
1: I I do. It's coming out uh, December 1st. And, you know, it is a little bit of a, oh, I want it out. It's so relevant uh, on the one hand. Uh, On the other hand, you know, it's a really tough time. You're an author. You're an author. It's a really tough time to be. To be selling a book, and and Penguin has been amazing. Penguin Random House has really been incredibly supportive. Uh, but it's a tough time, you know. I've, I have, I'm sure you do. I have friends who are authors, and they're pushing books now, and it's not, it's not easy. Everyone, get out there and support an author who has
0: a book out right now. because- Absolutely, it's a great time to order books. Uh, you've got certainly more than enough time to read. Uh, I do anyway. There's only so much cleaning I can do. There's only so much. <laughs> of the of the organizing this place is so it doesn't maybe look like it from the bookshelf behind me but it is organized and here within an inch of its life
1: Uh, yeah it is it is you know i I gotta be honest with you richard i've been crazy busy crazy i keep waiting i keep waiting for that that boredom that everyone is talking about (laughs) because you know i I, uh, my day job is kind of fighting misinformation right and we're He's right now at a, you know, uh, sort of the epicenter of misinformation.
0: Let's talk about that then. So we have been given, I guess, uh, some misinformation. If you look on social media, you look on Twitter, you look out in the world, everyone seems to think if you drink pomegranate juice, uh, then you'll you'll be cured. If you drink a glass of water every 15 minutes, you won't get the COVID-19. Where do these wild ideas come from and and how do you fight back against misinformation like that you know we're we're
1: studying this and and you know my answers are not going to surprise you they're they're coming from from absolutely everywhere you know they're coming from world leaders we've seen we've seen that Uh, they're coming from celebrities you know that the 5g myth have you heard this this one that yeah that five the five the emerging 5g technology is causing Are making are making um, coronavirus worse. You know that celebs have you know helped to spread that misinformation. So we we have that one. Uh, but a lot of it. There was an interesting study out of Oxford um, just over uh, the last couple of days that found again no surprise that a lot of it's social media and it's a lot of the general public sharing this misinformation. Right. So one of the ways you can fight this is. Don't share, (laughs) you know, know, think, think before you share, you know, use that critical thinking. Uh, Is there evidence to back this up? What what is the source of this information? There's a really cool study, actually, one of our collaborators, Gordon Pennycook, who's in Saskatchewan, uh, did a study. It sounds ridiculously simple, Richard, but it really works. If you can teach people just to pause before they share, uh, because, you know, social media is this frantic medium, right? And it doesn't want you to pause. <laughs> you know, it wants you to be constantly moving. Uh, if we can just get people to pause before they share, it can have a real impact on the spread of misinformation. And in their study, they found, uh, and this is sort of a good news part of the story, and it, and it, and it's, it lines up with other research that's been done. They found that that people want to be accurate. You know, there's always this idea that this malevolent force out there spreading this People want to to be accurate, and they're capable, generally, of of, of being accurate. So it's just really trying to nudge them uh, to pause. And hey, and we're all guilty of it, You know, you see a story about the, uh, the tiger
0: king, <laughs> read that story. You're listening to my interview with relax. Damn it. Author Timothy Caulfield. Well, it, we, we are all guilty of it. And I think that there's, there's two things and, and you're the expert here, but I'll throw out what I think are the, the two motivators behind this. One is hope in a situation like this, where the, the, the guidelines seem to shift all the time and, and, and things seem to be changing all the time. People want something to hang on to and go, you know, this is the hopeful news. Pomegranate juice will work. Uh, the, you know We know where it's coming from, all that kind of stuff. And then the other part of it, I think, are conspiracy theories. People in times of great confusion, when it's chaos everywhere, when, when people don't quite understand the world the way that they usually do, their minds look to make connections and they look to, they, they want to see things in a linear way. And that's where apparently conspiracy theories come yeah. from, is a way of trying to figure out things that make sense like pieces of a puzzle that all fit together.
1: Yeah, I think that conspiracy thing is really important. And, and it sounds like you know this. There's empirical data to bake up, back up exactly what you said. You know, in times of uncertainty, we want the narrative uh, to be full. You know, we want it to be, we want to have uh, a, a story that we can wrap our arms around that makes sense to us and sort of al- aligns with our, our particular ideology, our worldview, right? And so that's why you'll have, you, you can see those those conspiracy theories kind of line up with those kind of kind of, uh, of world views, uh, but you're absolutely right. People want that, that full story. And so often, unfortunately, uh, the truth or the science-based truth has gaps in it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that leaves people unsatisfied, and, and, and so they, they seek to fill in those gaps. So I, I think you're absolutely right about, um, about that. And then your first point, the hope one, I, I think you're right, and, and, and an added part of that is people wanna feel like they're doing something right they want to feel like they're doing something so uh my i have a friend alan labinovitz he does really he's actually a religious scholar and he does really cool work on on alternative therapies you know what draws people to this you know the idea concept of, of natural and he says exactly that you know and and, and that and that people like ritual you know mm-hmm. so people may know that supplements don't work <laughs> they may know that their facial cream isn't really getting rid of their wrinkles, but. But they like that ritual. It gives them comfort. And I think we're seeing a lot of that today, right now in this situation.
0: I know from the conversations that I've had with people via Zoom, I haven't seen anyone other than, uh, you know, a checkout person, a cashier at a grocery store behind plexiglass, or my wife for a month now, face to face. But the, the conversations that I'm having with people and what I'm seeing online suggest that there's this underlying anxiety that we're feeling just because of the uncertainty just because we don't understand exactly what's going on and the flattening the curve seemed uh like it seems like it's working but we don't know for sure and we there's so much uncertainty that it's it's giving us all anxiety how do you think that we can manage that sort of anxiety in a situation like this which is and here's the word that everyone's using unprecedented
1: yeah you 're right, a lot of the things I talk about in the book uh, are first, of all, I also talk about the fact that we kind of live in a fear culture right now. you know uh, so much of the marketing that goes around the products and idea, uh, ideologies are, are rooted in fear right and you know that 's problematic, so I try to highlight that that reality. Uh, the other reality we 're all terrible at assessing risk you know we 're I'm terrible, <laughs> Richard. You're terrible. <laughs> we're, all, we're all terrible at it. And so, to kind of remind people of that, and, and there's a little bit of evidence that works, right? So, and this this time, this unprecedented time that we're in right now, is a great example of 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 how difficult it is to assess risk, and, it, and it's also a great example of the challenge of good science communication, because on the one hand, this is a true international crisis that's going to cause people to lose their life and we've seen it already right and this is a true international crisis and you want to communicate to the world that reality you want to communicate to the world that reality and want you want people to take action you want social distancing you want people to wash their hands you want people to act responsibly when they have these symptoms so you really want this serious message to get out there but on the other hand if you are in a low-risk group uh if you're not one of the vulnerable populations you know immunocompromised an elderly individual the risk to you um, should be viewed kind of in a realistic manner. And, and what uh, so many of your actions, including wear, wearing a mask, if that's what the data says, is really for other people. You know, it's a community action, right? So I think that's one way to help manage the stress. You know, I'm doing this for my community. You know, let's think of it that way and for my loved ones. Um, so really trying to, to focus on, you know, what matters as opposed to this, um, this amorphous angst that's coming at us all of the time from every direction. Uh, And that's one of the things I really try to do uh, in the book is really talk about let's, because some people will say to me, relax, damn it. How can you tell us to do that now? (laughs) It seems like we should be doing the exact opposite. Panic, damn it. Um, But the the idea is that, uh, and there's some other scholars who have said this, You know, one of the reasons you want people to recognize the actual state of the world is it allows them to focus on what really matters and what's really gonna make
0: a difference. Well, see, that's the the positive spin, if there is one that you can put on all of this, is that we've seen some really great things happen. Uh, we have seen film companies step up and make movies free. Uh, the, you know, Focus Features is doing free Mondays on Facebook, and they're showing great movies and doing Q&As with the actors and that kind of thing that you can interact with. You know, there's lots of stuff that's happening that seems to me to be people... Uh, going above and beyond doing things that we've never done before simply because it's the right thing to do, simply because it's good, simply because it will help people in a way. And so when all this is said and done, and it will be all said and done at some point, we don't know when, but I'm I'm knocking wood that it will be. Uh, I hope that we can hang on to this idea that, that we are all linked, that this age of the individual that we live in so often now uh, with our angry tweets online when we hide behind our keyboards, that we begin to really assess what our part is in the community and how we can make our communities big and small better. That's my hope. Maybe it's Pollyanna-ish, I don't know, but that's what I hope comes out of all of this.
1: I, I, I agree with you so much, Richard, and, and, and we're seeing it also uh, in the scientific community, we're seeing these wonderful collaborations happen like overnight, yeah. right? Happen overnight. You know, this is an important topic. Let's get together and work on it. Uh, the other thing I hope from uh, the legacy, one of the legacies, is is this recognition of of, of the value uh, of good communication and the value of good science, and but also an understanding of the problems of of misinformation. You know, that. Uh, so I'm hoping that that's those are the kinds of legacies that we're going to have as as a result of this. Um, and that people take these issues really seriously.
0: Do you think that when all this is done, that there will be, a broader appreciation for the scientific approach? Because we seem to, as you know, we've probably talked about this when you are on my radio show, there's been an erosion of trust in science for whatever reason it might be. Uh, I'm not gonna sit here and and try and explain why that happened because I don't really know. I believe in science uh, and particularly now. Do you hope that when all this is over and do you think that people will start or, or go back to, I guess, go back to the idea that that science is our friend and not some mysterious thing that we have to fear. Well, I'm, I'll
1: start with the, the hope first. You know, I, I hope so. I, you know, I've already seen now whether this is going to endure, I don't know, uh, but I've already seen that kind of commentary emerge, uh, not just on social media but more broadly. You yeah. know, uh, there has been, and we've talked about this before, there has been this what I think unacceptable toleration of pseudoscience. Uh, and unproven therapies it's it's endemic it's absolutely everywhere you know the wellness industry which is worth over or close to five trillion dollars five trillion dollars is mostly based on no evidence right it's mostly useless stuff think about that five humans are spending five trillion dollars on stuff that doesn't work and and those supplements didn't work before the pandemic they're not, they don't work now and they're not gonna work after the pandemic. Right. So it's, it's, it's a little bit conceptually inconsistent how everyone is now saying, look, uh, chiropractic adjustments do not boost your immune system. IV uh, vitamin therapy is not necessary, don't do it. Homeopathy doesn't work. They're saying that now when I hope they'll continue to say that after and we're really gonna recognize the profound harm that uh, an embrace of magical thinking can have not just on individuals but on on the community.
0: It's so, just hopefully. exactly that kind of comment that made you uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's nemesis. <laughs>
1: so, Are
0: you still Gwyneth Paltrow's nemesis? Uh, I, here I, <laughs> <laughs> I hear I
1: am. <laughs> I hear rumors. Uh, I hear you rumors. Know, so and, and again, I I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but I always say our show was on Netflix, and then her show went on, and ours came off. <laughs> Do the
0: math. Yeah, do, <laughs> do the, the math. math. Um, other than this, this pandemic, which is seems to be all that any of us can really think about, um, how did we all become stress bots? How did it all happen? Do you think that that we let stress into our lives? Now, I think it's been amplified in the last month or so. But before that, I mean, the, the, the level of anxiety that people feel now, generally speaking, I think is higher than I can ever remember it being, in my lifetime, anyway.
1: I, I think a lot of, one of the things I argue in, in, in the book is, is that we're kind of wired as human beings to, uh, we have a negativity bias, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's uh, evolutionarily you know, wired into us. Um, we remember negative things better. We respond to negative things better and and both social media and the popular press recognize that and there's actual studies that show that negative news gets more traction negative headlines get more traction negative social media gets more traction things that are based on fear and negativity get more traction and we remember it we remember it better And there's evidence evidence to back that up so we have this already kind of wired built-in negativity bias um there's a great study that showed um what do people search on the internet about dying? You know, how we die. What do uh, people uh, uh, actually die of, right? Right. And, right? And what is covered in the popular press? And you know the answer to this, right? The yeah. popular press makes it look like it's terrorism, murder, you know, all these crazy things. Getting and eaten then by a shark. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there's this really, really strong availability bias. And it's playing out a little bit right now too um something is dramatic if something is exciting and and grotesque we're more likely to remember it and more likely to be fearful of it so that's also a big a big factor uh why there's so much stress because now we have social media that's you know you know putting this in our face all all of the time and and you have some networks like uh, fox news (laughs) that's their mandate right is fear so i think I think that is part of it. You know, one of my favorite examples, Richard, is crime. Uh, if there have been studies done, both in the United States and Canada, if you go out in the street and you ask people, they think crime has never been this bad, right? right. When, in, when in fact, it's at an almost all-time low. Now, this is particularly in the United States, where they have about 70% of the population think crime is worse now than 20 years ago. Uh, and it's, it's almost at an all-time low. But, but that perception and that belief, think about it, it has an impact on how you vote, it has an impact on how you treat your neighbors, it has an impact on, on the security that you have in your house, it has an impact on whether you let your kids walk to school and ha- just that one misperception of, of, uh, that is really a fear uh, perception can have a huge impact uh, on our lives. And that is for sure the availability bias playing out, pop culture playing out, uh, et cetera.
0: That was Timothy Caulfield. His book, Relax, Damn It: A User's Guide to the Age of Anxiety, will be available on December 1st, wherever you buy fine books. Next up, help me welcome a person, and I love this so much, her bio starts with this line. I wasn't delivered by a stork, I was pulled out of a hat. That's what my guest Julie Eng says about how she arrived in the world. She grew up learning and performing magic side-by-side with her father, who was a well-known magician on the West Coast, and she is now an in-demand performer and the executive director of Magicana, a Toronto-based organization dedicated to the exploration and advancement of magic. Like so many other performers, she was profoundly affected by the pandemic. Here's what she has to say about that. Tell me what a magician does uh, during isolation. Uh, How do you make the minutes disappear?
2: I wish I had a secret formula for you. I really wish I could give you all the secrets to that. It's been a challenge, for sure. I am very lucky. You know, actually, the magic communities come together in this really interesting way where there's a lot of video content, free streaming. There was a huge magic um, conference online I think it was like 30,000 people registered to, to participate in this. I know, I know. It's, that's, it's an amazing thing. And that's the community. That's what magicians are doing. We are, we are isolated. We are without work, which is incredibly frightening. And it's not just one city. It is everywhere. And that I think has been um, an amazing feeling of, of something we've never experienced obviously, but it's a, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You can't restart. You can't. There is such a um, a pit of of what am I going to do? And so this coming together as this community has been actually really heartening. People are reaching out. I'm a member of many uh, societies and fraternities and sororities, and people are just reaching out. They're just phoning. Hey, how are you doing? You know, well, it's, it's I, very and I guess
0: that provides some uh, at least small measure of comfort. I and mean, this is, as we're saying, this is world. And so, uh, what you're experiencing here, your colleagues in England and wherever else they may be, are experiencing the same thing.
2: Yes, and I think there is that shared oddity and surrealism. But at least it is, as we've been, we've heard everybody say, we are in it together. And in that sense, at least there's solidarity there. So that's been kind of cool. And I'm very, I'm very proud to see that so many local guys. Um, friends from across the country, from across uh, the world, as you've just pointed out, they're all reaching out. I, I get I get more calls now than I've ever had.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, it goes to isolation the, a bit more.
0: <laughs> I am kind of a bit of a, a Pollyanna type. I hope that we learn things from this that will then you know, filter into our lives after all this is over. And it will all end at some point. We'll yes. be able to go outside and touch our faces again and do all that kind of thing. And one of the things I hope that we take away from this is the importance of staying connected, of the importance of of forgetting about saying, oh, I'm just too busy. I can't. I'm too busy to see you or talk to you. I'm sorry I didn't email you. Um, take the time to do this kind of thing because it's really important to stay connected.
2: Yes, it's incredibly important to stay connected. And I think it is actually really interesting. I've spent a lot of time both with my magic friends, a lot of texting um, because, you know, they're in shared environment. Sometimes children are sleeping. Sometimes um, partners are on the telephone with, with work. But I also spend a lot of time with my family as well. It's been really fun. I have a five-year-old nephew. He is isolated with his mom and, and mm-hmm. dad at home. And it's a challenge. And Auntie is um, at the ready. You know, we read together. We do a little bit of magic. It's very hard because, you know, I want to play with him. And it's... It's really fun to see that the magic still lights him up. You know, he knows there's a screen between us now. And I used to have a lot of fun pulling coins out of his mouth when he was three and four. <laughs> he'd be eating ice cream, he'd be feeding me ice cream too, and I'd have it up here. And he was, he was enchanted by it all. And it's, it's fun that we have this very strange connection now. So we read together a lot right now, which has been wonderful. So I, I do a little magic for him on the side as well.
0: And What's it like where you are? Are, When you look out the window, are there people on the street? Are you seeing people self-isolating and keeping social distance and all that sort of thing?
2: I was a little concerned at first because, you know, I live very close to a park and everyone needs to walk. Everyone needs to get some fresh air. We had a lot of animals in my, in my neighborhood, a lot of dog walking going on. And it was great to see people very mindful of it. Um, I went down closer to the waterfront and to do a walk near um, Queens Key and so down right down the water at the lake. And it was so crowded. It was so alarmingly crowded. And it was very frustrating because, you know, we are trying to do this collectively. Like we need to, I don't want to stay in isolation any longer than you want to. So let's kind of like do the right thing here. And I've noticed that in now in the city, if I'm walking down, I walk near the financial district or I walk down by St. Lawrence market. I walk towards Queen West and having this um, understanding with people stepping aside, giving the courtesy of not a wide berth, but <laughs> giving some space. I mean, it's a narrow street and at people with, you know, crams and it's been really heartening that people make the space with a smile you know, but really respecting this. Space. I ran into one of my neighbors and it was very instinctive to give her a hug and right. I can't, so we stopped with this large driveway between us shouting at each other.
0: Well the, these are the pictures I'm seeing on social media of neighbors talking to one another from across the street and you know with whether it's a bullhorn or just you know speaking loudly but it does speak to the idea that people want connection. They do want connection even though we're all trying to play by the rules and stay
2: it's, it's hard it's really hard and it's really heartening as i keep saying this word really means a lot to me because i think people are now really trying i i feel like in my area people are making a concerted effort um we, i live in a building so a condominium so i pass in and out of a, a shared lobby and i was sidestepping a dog and his owner <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to give each other another space between the lift and it was kind of We were laughing because, you know, it's a narrow passageway, but we're doing all that we can. And I, I think that there's a sense of community in that regard. And that's, you know, we all have for as little as we can say, sit, sit down with each other. We're still actually connecting in our own, in our own ways. And I, that is, as you point out, the great lesson here.
0: You're listening to my interview with Julie Eng, Executive Director of Magicana. Now, we were talking earlier about how the magic community has really come together online, doing free shows and that sort of thing. Well, Magicana, which is an organization that you're very involved in, uh, and I'm sure that probably a lot of this is on hold right now, but it's worth noting uh, that you were one of the founding members of My Magic Hands, which is an outreach uh, to yeah. teach kids about, uh, at-risk kids about magic. And 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 it teaches them discipline and gives them a sense of purpose, all that sort of thing. And then yeah. senior sorcery. Uh, and so you have given back with your craft and your art so much. But now, people are giving back to you. And you mentioned the Slate family.
2: It's unbelievable, Richard. The Slate Family Foundation are, the family itself is extraordinary. They're philanthropists, and Alan Slate, who the poster collection is named after, had a great love of magic. He still does love magic, but his family's put this foundation together. His son, Gary Slate, was really moved when he realized, you know, Gary's really into music as well, so he set yeah. up a big uh, same, similar idea of a gift to, uh, he was participating in a national arts program where artists were being paid to perform, the Slate Family Foundation donated directly toward that. uh, The Slate Family Foundation also gave $3 million to food banks across Toronto, and they also gave $150,000, they pledged to Magicana, for us to distribute to magicians who rely solely on this as their income. And it was a very touching um, gift that we have been able to participate in in the administration of. You know, as I, kept, I opened the conversation with you, it is really weird to just have all of a sudden everything you've been working on gone. Just well, you gone. were
0: probably booked through till next year sometime with gigs. You do a lot of corporate gigs. You you uh, you know have so many irons in the fire, and then all of a sudden in a week, and I saw the same thing happen over here. Uh, all of a sudden. Uh, my schedule went from being that thick to being that thick and then just disappear completely.
2: Vanishing. That's exactly what's happened. It started with a few, oh, I'm not sure. Okay, let's postpone. Let's, hmm, maybe we can push that back into the summer. And I I was scrambling with travel and with tickets, you know, we're just working on all of it. It, it. It was, it was really amazing to see that once full calendar, as you said delete, 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 you know, it's just all vanishing. And I am one person out of this very large industry. Mm-hmm. And I have many, many friends in this, not only here in Canada, but of course, around the world. We all are experiencing this, we seeing the Magic Castle shut down, the Magic Castle had 180 uh, employees that had to be put on furlough. It's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, that's one organization. So it's very hard to to believe that that's happened. And the slave family, here they are donating $150,000 for Canadian magicians who rely on this full time. I mean, there are some benefits that now the government is starting to bring forward. But as we all know, it's it's an incredible strain right now. And it's frightening because you we, we bank on our work. We bank on future work. It's just how it goes. It's how we pay our mortgages, it's how we buy our groceries. So now with all of this gone, how are we going to pay for the internet so we can stay connected? That's so right. this is where this fund has been absolutely one of the most um, powerful, touching gifts that the Slate Family Foundation has given directly to the magician, um, organiz- like the, our, our subset of magic inside of the arts. They're incredibly supportive of all arts, of children, of hospitals, of seniors, but this particular fund for relief has been very, very moving. So it's uh, to, exciting for me to be. It,
0: well, it is exciting. And, and again, one of the ways that people are stepping up and we're seeing this in all facets here that that people are taking extraordinary measures yes. during this most extraordinary time. And, yes. and it's, it is so heartening to see. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I want to thank my guests, Relax, Damn It author, Timothy Caulfield, the executive director of Magicana, Julie Eng, But most of all, my thanks to you for listening. I hope you stay well and stay healthy, and we'll speak again next week.